0: Acts chapter 15 this evening, again, Acts chapter 15, and we're going to begin reading this evening from verse 19, pick up where we finished this morning, Acts chapter 15, and we'll begin reading from verse 19. Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turn to God. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For most of old time hath in every city them that preach him been read in the synagogues every Sabbath day, Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed by and Silas chief men among the brethren. They wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren, saying greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Forasmuch as we have heard that certain which, uh, which went out from us have troubled you with words, subver- subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren under the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also and let's open with a word of prayer <clears throat> dear lord and Heavenly father we do indeed thank you lord for uh, another opportunity to to come together to worship you to sing praise your name and lord to gather around your blessed word and lord we pray that as we uh, conclude uh, this this section this evening on the council of jerusalem we pray that you bless our time uh, lord that you would undertake. Pray that once again you would empower me this evening through the Spirit. That it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, or you would give us understanding of the truths contained therein. May speak to our hearts now. And may we be refreshed and blessed by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, of course, we've been looking at the Council of Jerusalem convened to consider the place of the law for the Gentiles, and so far we've looked at the dispute between the two sides, you know, circumcision plus grace and grace alone. And then this morning, of course, we looked at the four leaders who spoke out in defense of salvation by grace alone for the Gentiles. And we looked at the fact that Peter reviewed uh, the past. He reviewed how it was God who instigated the work among the Gentiles. He showed that it was God who begun the work, and God then blessed the work by giving the Gentiles the Holy Ghost. And then we saw Paul and Barnabas stand up and report on the presence, showing how God continued to work among the Gentiles, with the miracles and the wonders uh, demonstrating clearly that God was indeed behind the work amongst them. And then finally, we saw James stand up and give testimony. Give testimony that was always God's plan from the beginning that he would choose a people for his name, among the gentiles and he referred to the prophets referred to the prophet amos in particular to prove this point and so we've looked at the, the dispute we've looked at the defense and now lastly this evening we come to the decision the decision and there's a twofold decision here and that's our first point this evening the twofold decision just read with me verse 19 it says wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. Now James, after he's given his testimony uh, concerning the fact that you know this has always been God's eternal plan, James, now as leader of the church, he stands up and he makes a decision. We read here at the start of the verse 19 it says wherefore my sentence is this is james speaking okay in other words he says on the basis of what we've heard on the basis of what peter has said on the basis of what paul and barnabas have presented and on the basis of the prophets this is my sentence this is my decision my judgments you know james here is making this statement with authority isn't he okay he's making this statement with authority and This clearly demonstrates to us his position of authority within the church there at Jerusalem. Now, we don't read here of anyone arguing with James and saying, who made you boss, okay? James is the spiritual leader here in the church at this time, and he is the one who takes the leadership in making this judgment. And they respect his judgment. They agree with him on his decision. And so the evidence seems to be this is why people believe that he's the senior pastor here in the church at Jerusalem at this time. And it explains to us why he's the one who makes the decision and not the apostles. Okay, The apostles are there, and you sort of think, why don't the apostles stand up? Why doesn't Peter or one of the other apostles stand up and say, this is the decision? Why is it James? Well, the reason is because James is the senior pastor at this time. He's the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And so we see that James, as uh, the leader, as the pastor, he takes the spiritual leadership here in this matter and he makes a decision based on the evidence that's being presented. And the decision that he presents here is twofold. Firstly, we see that he makes a doctrinal decision about salvation. That's verse 19. He says, Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. James here concludes that the Gentiles don't need to be troubled. Okay, he says, my sentence is that we trouble them not. He says, basically, we need to leave them alone. He says, they're turning to God. They're believing. They're trusting in him. So we need to stop troubling them. We need to leave them be. See, James here, by this statement in verse 19, he's declaring that Peter and Barnabas and Paul were correct. He's siding with them. Okay, he's saying, this is my judgment. I stand with them on this. And he's saying the legalistic Jews here are wrong. He's saying we need to not trouble them, not put the yoke upon them, not put this burden upon the, the Gentile believers. And so James here leads the church in concluding what we've been looking at, that all men are equal in the eyes of God. That's the concluding statement here. That's his judgment. All men are equal. All are sinners before God. All are saved by the same means, by grace through faith. You know, it is indeed a wonderful thing That here in the book of Acts, this matter of works salvation is dealt with so clearly, isn't it? It's dealt with. And the decision is recorded for us. Yeah, Even still, this doctrine still is preached, isn't it? It's still preached today. We still have people preaching works salvation. We have legalists adding works to grace. And so it's still being preached. It's still being taught. Even though here in Acts chapter 15, at the very beginning of the church, we have a decision made, clear decision god's decision that it has no part in it you know we can praise god that you know we know for a surety that our salvation is not dependent on any works that we do it's all of grace and this matter is clearly and wonderfully dealt with here at this council and so this is the doctrinal decision that he makes he leads them in this doctrinal decision salvation is by grace alone the second part of James's decision here is a practical one. Okay? And that's in verse 20, 20. It says, But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So here in verse 20, James now presents a practical um, judgment, if you like, as well. Okay, A practical decision. James suggests that the church here should write a letter unto the church at Antioch, unto the Gentile believers, and they should make some practical suggestions concerning how they should act, how they should behave and conduct themselves as believers. And it's important that we understand here that these things that James is talking about in verse 20 have nothing to do with salvation. And indeed, they have nothing to do with holiness either as we'll see he's not talking about that here okay he's made that judgment in verse 19 trouble them not okay they're saved by grace so these here have nothing to do with salvation he's already declared they don't need to keep the law to be saved these instructions here are all to do with practice you see there was a practical problem that was arising in the churches and that practical problem was behind this whole debate here in acts chapter fifteen. It was Jews and Gentiles being together in the same congregation. Okay, there was, a, there was mixed congregations. You had Jews and Gentiles meeting together, coming from different backgrounds, to now meet together and worship the Lord. And so this presents a practical problem because you see that the Jews had grown up with various ceremonial laws, ways of doing things, and they found it very hard to let these things go most of the jews you know peter found it very difficult didn't he to go and eat with Cornelius. but once he did it he did it but it was very hard for him to let it go and to acknowledge that hey i can eat with the gentile but a lot of the other jews are struggling with this they're struggling to overcome these things that were ceremonial laws for them so there is a practical problem if you like within the church because the jews had these laws and the gentiles didn't and now they're trying to meet together if they're not careful, there's going to be a fence cause, isn't there? Okay? Even though the Gentiles are not under the law, okay, they don't need to keep the law to be saved, if they're not careful, they're going to offend their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ by their actions. If they're not careful, the church is still going to be split, isn't it? Okay? Because that's really what's happening here in Acts chapter 15. There was potential for the church to be ripped apart into Jews and Gentiles. And If they're not careful, this is still going to happen without these practical solutions here that james puts forward so what james is asking here of the gentile christians is that they be mindful of their jewish brothers and sisters in christ that's really what's behind verse 20 here he's asking that they be mindful of their weaker brothers and sisters okay because that's what they are okay according to romans as we'll look they're the weaker brothers okay he's saying be mindful of your weaker brothers and therefore, seek to live and behave yourselves in a way that doesn't cause offence, acting love towards them. And so, there are four practical things that he mentions here. Okay, he asks them here in verse twenty, and of these four, three of them have to do with food. Okay, let's just read verse twenty again. It says, "But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from." blood okay so abstain from pollution of idols is the first one to do with food and then you have from things strangled and from blood these three are all to do with food what you eat pollution of idols here refers to meat that has been offered unto the idols as a sacrifice okay which would then be sold and people could then eat that meat and although there is nothing spiritually wrong with eating meat that was offered unto an idol it okay, doesn't affect you spiritually, it doesn't affect your holiness. James knew that it would cause offense. James knew that it would cause offense to the Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly if they're having a, a fellowship lunch and the Gentile believers are bringing meat that has been offered to idols. You know, that is going to cause offense, isn't it? It's going to really cause offense to their Jewish brethren. And we've got to understand that in the early church, they had a lot of meals together. Okay, They were called love feasts. They ate together often. And so that's why three of these are to do with food. Because when they came together to eat, he's saying, don't offend your brothers and sisters here. And so even though meat offered unto idols does not affect one's spirituality, James is asking that they refrain so they don't cause their brethren's offense, their Jewish brethren. Now, this is the same point that Paul would later make in his epistle to the Corinthians. Let's turn over there, First Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> I want to read the whole chapter here. So as we read it, let's just um, pay attention and listen. So the whole chapter is about this very issue. First uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything... He knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice under idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things. And we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat, it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat, are we the better. Neither if we eat not, are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means... This liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak, for if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother's brother to offend. I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul speaks about it extensively, doesn't he? This whole point. He says, yes, we know there is only one God, and so meat offered unto an idol, nothing's changed about it, it's just meat. He says, but another brother might not have that knowledge, and to them it is sacrificed unto an idol, and so they are struggling with it. It causes them offense. causes them to stumble, and so Paul makes it clear. He ends, he says, if meat's going to make them... Offend? Offend my brother? I'm not going to eat. He says, I'm going to refrain from love because I don't want to offend them, cause them to stumble. And so Paul makes that clear here in First Corinthians 8. And that's the same point that James is making. You see, eating may offend a weaker brother. It may cause them to sin. And so Paul, in First Corinthians 8, makes the point of refraining lest offense be uh, caused. And that's what James is asking here of the Gentiles. He's saying refrain from pollution of idols lest you cause offense cause your jewish brothers to stumble and the same is true when it comes to asking them to refrain from things strangled and from things uh, from blood okay the end of verse 20 there says but that we write unto them they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood and it was being strangled here meant that they were not killed by you know, having their throat slit and the blood drained, okay, which was how the Jews were instructed to kill their meats. Okay? It was kosher. Okay? It was killed in the right way for them. And so if it wasn't killed like that, if it was strangled, it was unfit for the Jews to eat according to their ceremonial laws. It's the same with blood. The Jews were instructed not to eat the blood. The Gentiles didn't care. Okay? They come from the other way. They didn't have any qualms about eating things strangled. They didn't have any qualms about eating the blood. And the point here again is not that by eating things strangled and by eating blood they would be sinning and they would be spiritually unclean before the Lord. It's got nothing to do with that. He again is saying, refrain from these things so you don't cause offence. Refrain from these things in the presence of your Jewish brethren. See, these are again Jewish food laws and James is asking that the Gentiles respect it so they don't cause offence. Respect it out of love is what he's saying. And in particular, as I said, when they came together for these love feasts. okay, That's when the offence was particularly going to be caused, wasn't it? Or when they're entertaining one in their house. Okay, going and bringing out meat that was offered to an idol is not the right time to bring that meat out, is it? You're causing offence. And that's what he's getting at here. And so that leads us to the fourth thing, the fourth practical thing that he mentions here is he says that they are to refrain from fornication. <clears throat> You know, this immediately seems a little out of place, doesn't it? It seems completely out of place. When you put it in relation to the other three, and the other three are all to do with food, they're all to do with abstaining from it lest you cause offence, what's fornication doing in there? You see, when we read that word fornication, we immediately think of any sexual sin, don't we? Anything that's outside the bounds of God's designated marriage. relationship that's what we immediately think about and you know this of course is something which all believers should surely understand is sin okay it is sin it is wickedness every believer should understand that whether you've come from being a gentile or a jew it's it's pretty clear that that's not what god is after that it doesn't honor him it's a breach of god's moral law isn't it it's a breach of god's moral law and a sin for all believers so if it is indeed here referring to sexual sin, why does James include it here with these other three? Why does he include it here? It doesn't seem to fit with his line of thinking, does it? Okay, the other three, these food laws, are all to do with ceremonial law. And then in the middle of it, you've got one that's to do with moral law. It doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't fit what his whole argument here is, his whole points. Well, it seems from reading the commentator this week, and there is a lot of debate, about what this actually means and why it's in there. But this is what I've come up with. This is the best understanding I've come up with. If you don't like it, talk to me later about it. It seems from reading the commentaries this week, it seems best to understand this here in the context of the passage as being asking the Gentiles to observe the marriage regulations of the Jews. You see, when we look at the marriage regulations of the Jews in the Old Testament... In Leviticus 18 in particular, and by the way, the passage before that, Leviticus 17, is where you find those three food laws, okay, Leviticus 18 is all to do with marriage for the Jews, okay, and God puts in place there rules about who they could marry and who they couldn't marry, and in particular, marriages that were between close family were forbidden, okay, you weren't allowed to marry a close relative, God had forbidden that for the Jews, the Gentiles, they didn't have any of those restraints, did they? Okay, the Gentiles didn't have those restraints. They were quite happy to marry whoever they wanted to. And so it seems best to understand it in that context, okay, because that then puts it alongside these other ceremonial laws, okay, in the same light. Um, and so that seems to be his point here, that James is asking them to be considerate of the Jews again in this matter, be considerate of them when it comes to marriage. And understanding what the Jews uh, you know, saw as being fitting before God. You know, that instead of remaining content with the lower pagan standards, and they were lower, lower pagan standards, to instead conform to the higher Jewish standards. That's what he's asking here of these brethren. So again, James is not asking of them to refrain from it, you know, lest they sin, Okay, because it's not talking about fornication in that sense. It's talking about Refrain lest you cause offence. Okay, He's talking about watch that you don't cause offence in this area as in the area of food as well. Now in verse 21 makes this point clear to us. In verse 21 he goes on, he says, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him been read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. See, verse 21 he talks about the fact that in in every synagogue where the Jews met together, these ceremonial laws were being taught. This is what the Jews grew up being taught. It's okay for you to eat these things, it's not okay to eat these things. It's okay to marry this person, it's not okay to marry these people. They were, they'd grown up being taught these ceremonial laws. And so the Gentiles now, instead of causing the Jews offense, both saved and unsaved, okay, because it's going to cause both sets offense, instead of causing them offense, James is asking that they abstain from these things so they might be a blessing unto the saved and they might witness to the unsaved. That's a two-pronged attack here, doesn't it? So they can be a blessing and a witness to both the saved and unsaved Jews. And so the decision here by James, you know, it doesn't in any way take away the liberty that the Gentiles have in Christ, that you and I have in Christ. It doesn't in any way take that away. He's simply asking that they exercise their liberty without causing offence. You know, this is something that we as believers, even today, need to be mindful of, isn't it? Now, we don't have Jews in our congregation, none that I know of. And so these particular restraints, they don't apply to us. Okay, in this setting, they don't apply to us. But there may be other things that we need to restrain from so that we might not cause a brother or sister in the Lord. The principle remains, doesn't it? You see, we have liberty in Christ, yes, and it's a wonderful, glorious thing. We have liberty in Christ, but we're not to use that liberty to cause a brother or sister offence. You you see, if, if by exercising our liberty to do a certain thing, it's causing another believer to be led into sin, then we've sinned, haven't we? Because we've offended them, we put a stumbling block before them, and now they're struggling because of our actions. A particular thing may not be sinful, but because they struggle with it, they have a problem with it, we've led them into sin. And that's the whole idea, that we refrain from those things out of love, lest we cause offence. Now, this is what Romans chapter 14 is all about. Let's just turn over there. Romans 14. It's very similar to the passage we read in 1 Corinthians. Romans 14, let's read from verse 13. It says, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably." Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Paul speaks about the liberty we have in Christ here. It talks about not exercising that liberty with offense it's important we understand here this is not liberty in regards to morality is it that god's moral law is set in stone okay? there's no liberty in regards to that this is liberty in regards to those things which are of conscience you know these are the things that i may not struggle with but another brother might struggle with because of their previous life life so that thing causes them offense so out of love, I need to refrain from doing that, particularly in front of them. Lest I cause an offence, lest I lead them into sin. As it says there in verse 19, let us therefore fall after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. That's the things we need to look to do, aren't they? The things which lead to peace and edify one another. By refraining from these things, that's the goal, isn't it? Unity of the brethren. So we can labor together for Christ. We've seen the twofold decision. It says a doctrinal decision and a practical decision. Now, secondly, this evening, and these points will be a bit quicker. Secondly, this evening, we've seen the drafting of the letter. The drafting of the letter. Look at me in verse 22. It says Then pleased that the apostles and elders, with the whole church, to send men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely uh, Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. Now, having listened to James give his decision, the church now agrees to send a letter following his advice, communicating these things unto the church at Antioch. Verse 22 makes it clear that James' decision pleased everyone. It says them pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church everyone is happy with this judgment this decision that james makes says the whole church is involved everyone is in agreement here now this seems to indicate that even those who had originally been causing the problem even those who have been arguing that the gentiles needed to be circumcised are evidently convinced by the evidence and they are now even happy with james's judgments because there is unity here in the church it says the whole church is in agreement about this letter. And so a decision is made to send Paul and Barnabas, as well as two members of the church at Jerusalem, Judas and Silas, to go to Antioch with a letter stating this decision. And Judas and Silas here, they are men that are chosen because it says they are chief men among the brethren. It says at the end of verse 22 there, it says Judas, surname uh, Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So they're, they're men of esteem within the church, and they're chosen to represent the position of the church at Jerusalem, represent the position of the apostles and elders unto the church at Antioch. See, so not only were they to carry the letter, but they were also by word of mouth to confirm the letter. It tells us that in verse 27 it says, We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. You know, there may have still been some Judaizers in Antioch who hadn't gone back to Jerusalem. And so it was going to be necessary to have someone from the church of Jerusalem to confirm that, hey, the letter's not forged. The letter is true. That is what happened. That is the decision. And so that's what they're doing. They're confirming by word of mouth the council's decision. And verse 23 down to verse 29 now we have recorded... The words of this letter. Let's just read it. It says, "And they wrote letters by them after this manner: The apostles, and elders, and brethren, send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Seem good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved." Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by our mouth. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to, send, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. ye abstain from meats offered unto idols and from blood, for things strangled and from fornication, from which, if ye you keep yourselves, ye do well fare ye well. So we have recorded here the words of the letter, the letter that's been drafted to be given to the churches, the church at Antioch in particular. And the letter makes it clear the decision of the Jerusalem Council is that the Gentiles should consider themselves under no obligation to keep the law. That's the decision, isn't it? Under no obligation to keep the law in order to be saved, but that they should be sensitive to their Jewish brethren in the matters we've already looked at. Okay, those three food laws and also the one regarding marriage. We notice that the letter is also addressed to the Gentile brethren in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. It says that at the end of verse 23 there. Okay, it says Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Now, These were all churches that had mixed congregations. The reason that this letter is addressed to these three is because these three are the ones who need this letter. They're the ones with the mixed Congregations in particular, where the Gentiles and Jews are meeting together, and so this decision is especially meaningful to each of them. Okay, so the Jews don't impose things upon the Gentiles as they shouldn't, and so the Gentiles don't cause offense to the Jews, and so there might be unity. The letter also makes it clear that this is the Holy Ghost who's made this decision. It says in verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. You know, they acknowledge here that it's the Holy Ghost, it's God who made the decision. God decided the matter and the church recognized this fact. And this is what makes the decision here authoritative, isn't it? This is why it makes it so authoritative, because God is the one, not James. Okay, James is the one who's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's James who speaks uh, God's word, but it's God who makes the decision here. God makes his decision clear and the church accepted it and wrote it in letter unto the church in Antioch and uh, Syria and Seleucia. You know, the issue of law was settled once and for all. It was settled. It was settled while the church was, was still relatively young. It was in infant state here, wasn't it? Still relatively young church. And the decision was settled and it stands even today. We are saved By grace through faith, not by any conformity to the law. And lastly, now we see the result of the decision. We see the result of the decision. Look at me in verse 30. It says, So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren under the apostles. Notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Lastly, this evening we see the result of the decision. Verse thirty, we're told that Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas now take this letter to Antioch, and they gather the people together. It says in verse 30, And when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. So they gather everyone together so they can read the letter. You know, we can imagine how these Gentiles must have felt, can't we? As they came together, knowing that what they were going to read was the decision of the church at Jerusalem, was the decision of the apostles and elders. You know, you can imagine that this was a time of trepidation almost, because they would would have been wondering which way is it going to go, which way is the decision going to come. This is an important day in the history of the church. You know, they would have been wondering as they came together whether they were going to be asked to get circumcised and keep the law. And, beloved, that would have affected us, wouldn't it, for all eternity as well. Or whether they were going to be told that they were saved by grace alone. You know, this would have been going through their minds as they are coming together to hear this letter read is it any wonder that in verse 31 we read which when they had read they rejoiced for the consolation is any wonder they rejoiced it would have been a great uh, wonderful thing to finally hear this decision grace and grace alone and they rejoice and it says for the consolation for the encouragement they're encouraged by it as well they're not offended by the things that james has asked them to do so they don't offend the the jewish brethren they're encouraged by it all because it's bringing unity to the church beloved there was nothing more they needed to do to be saved what a wonderful thing it was to hear that letter read encouraged these gentle believers and it's the encouragement to us even today isn't it to read the words of this letter that we are free from the law and then in verse 32 to 35, it goes on to describe for us how the ministry goes forward from this day. Now, Judas and Silas, it says, they stay for a while and they minister there preaching and teaching because they're prophets. And then Judas leaves, he goes back to Jerusalem and Silas stays on to continue ministering there. And then we're told that Paul and Barnabas also, they get back to the work. They continue preaching and teaching the word of the Lord. So the point is, in those final verses is, the, the stumbling blocks has been removed, the hindrance has been taken away, and now God's word is going forward, isn't it? The work is now pushing forward again, honouring and glorifying the Lord. The hindrance has been removed. You know, the certain men who came to Antioch from Jerusalem right back at the start of chapter 15, you now those certain men who came preaching their false doctrine, they had the potential to ruin the work of God, didn't they? they had the potential to to split the church to cause great division between the Jews and the Gentiles you know the situation was handled correctly wasn't it it was handled in the right way it was handled by taking it to the spiritual leadership and the spiritual leadership under the influence of the spirit made the right decision praise God in, in that decision now this letter is written which brings unity to the church the work is strengthened, and the work of the Lord goes forward. Love, we can praise God this evening for this wonderful truth. Come, wonderful truth that we're saved by grace through faith, and indeed we have liberty in Christ. You know, as we said, as we we're looking tonight, you know, we have liberty. But we need to exercise that liberty in love, don't we? Even today, we want to have Jews in our midst, and so these particular ones don't apply. We have brothers and sisters within the church and we therefore need to be sensitive. We need to in love. Make sure that we exercise our liberty without causing one another offense, causing another brother to stumble and fall into sin. Let's close in the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed once again thank you for your work. We thank you, Lord, for Acts chapter 15 and Lord, the fact that so early in the church, Lord, this matter of works salvation essentially was dealt with the decision was handed down lord from you that salvation is by grace alone through faith and we thank you and we praise you for that we thank you and praise you for the liberty that we have in christ lord help us to exercise that liberty in love help us to be sensitive to uh, the needs of others sensitive to the struggles of others lord lord help us in these matters of conscience lord to not cause offense Lord, may you bless as we close we sing and give praise and glory unto you. In Jesus' name we pray.